of the Bible's first book, the book of Genesis, as we want to think about today the centrality and the place of Christ's resurrection in the Christian life. And of course, this is a most appropriate theme on Easter Sunday. And what we want to look at together is just verse 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 3. And as you're making your way there, you might know that it's quite common for many Christians to often have a life verse in the faith. You know, the longer that you live in Christ, the more that you read Christ's word, the more that you experience the Lord, the more a particular passage might resonate uh, uniquely with your life, with your struggles, with your personality, and with your joys. And I hope you have one of those passages. Passages you might even uh, consider over lunch with one another as you meditate on Jesus Christ and His Word, what might be your life passage. And I say that because for many years now, Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11 has been my life passage. I don't think it's any stretch whatsoever or, or hyperbole to say this is Paul's life passage if he ever had one for reasons that we will see together. So we're going to focus on just verse 10 and 11, but to give some of the context to it and help us understand what he's about in the broader part of Philippians, let us start our reading in verse 7. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together before we begin our study. Father, we do pray that you would give us the heart of a child, the simple faith of a young one that wants to just know the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our minds through the Spirit, open our hearts through his ministry that we might look upon Jesus Christ this day and live, that would lean upon his power that was so fully revealed at the empty tomb so many centuries ago, that we would thrive in him, that we would increase in our love for him this day as you minister to us. So free us, we pray, from distraction. Free us to hear your words of life this morning. Free me even from any selfishness or vainglory that might prevent you from speaking to us that I might preach as you say I must, boldly, clearly, ever on the precipice of eternity as a dying man unto dying people. 
How I do pray these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. You know, I think it was about almost five years ago exactly that I sat in the home of a dear church member at the church where I was serving at the time, and his name was Pat, and we were, over the course of an afternoon, we were planning out his funeral. Uh, Pat had become a dear brother in Christ to me, so sweet and encouraging, Uh, very much was a source of ministry in my time at that previous church. And for many years, he had fought against the cancer that was ravaging his body. And at this time in 2015, it was quite clear that soon the cancer would overtake his body Doctors seemingly were giving him months at the most. We knew as we gathered that afternoon that it might even only just be weeks until he saw the Lord Jesus Christ exalted in heaven. And after we had kind of prepared the final details related to his funeral, we just began to talk about his hopes and his ambitions, his heart prayers as death was knocking on his door. And in the course of that conversation, he said something to me that's always stuck He said, you know, death has a way of radically simplifying things. And maybe you know what he meant. That when suffering comes, especially when death seems to be looming on the horizon, it's only the most essential things that occupy your attention. It's only the most important things uh, that demand your conversation, that all these other things that used to matter, all these other things that used to uh, concern you, these are things that seem to just fade away in the light of eternity and the significance of everlasting glory. And if you, know, if you know something of that sense, well, you know something of Paul's heart here in Philippians chapter 3. Because kids, you might not know, when Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, he's writing a letter while in jail. He's writing a letter facing potential execution for his ministry in the gospel. It's why he famously says, even in Philippians 1.21, for me. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Chapter 2, he talks about already being poured out as a drink offering and his agony and his suffering and his potential death coming along the way. And so what we get by the time we come to Philippians 3, it's almost as though his, his pending death has pushed out all concerns and we get a very, very much uh, an autobiography of Paul. We get to see his heart ambitions. We get to see his most sincere passions on display for us as he, in verse 3 through 6, if you just scan your eyes through, he gives us this kind of backstory of his religious history. And he tells us there's no, there's no future in going backward to that religion of righteousness. What is much better for Paul is pressing forward to the upward call in Jesus Christ. Pressing forward to life in Christ as he looks forward to an eternity with Christ. And so what we're trying to focus on today from verse 10 and 11 is the place of Christ's resurrection in the Christian life. Uh, We want Paul's passions, we want Paul's prayers in this passage to help us understand the place of Christ's resurrection in the Christian life. Because students, I want to help you understand today, and certainly I want you to see today, that Christ's resurrection cannot be just a once a year celebration on Easter Sunday. 
Christ's resurrection cannot be just a once a week celebration on the Lord's Day. It must be both of those things. But of course, Christ's resurrection must be our celebration and energy every single day of the week if we're to live in him. To live without this power of Christ's resurrection would be something like trying to drive a car without ever engaging the gas pedal. It just goes nowhere. And maybe you're listening and watching this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you've wondered why Christians make such a big deal about Easter, make such a big deal about Sunday, make such a big deal about Christ's resurrection. Well, I want you to see why we make such a big deal about Christ's resurrection, why it means so much to us, even why Christ's resurrection makes Christianity altogether different from every religion. For, of course, Christians alone bow before a king who died and rose again. It's the Christian faith alone that adores a risen Lord. So I want to help you consider Christ in three different ways from our two verses. As Paul is going to call us to consider Christ, first of all, in verse 10, as he calls us to consider your focus on Christ. Then secondly, Consider your fellowship with Christ at the end of verse 10. Then verse 11, consider your future in Christ. And I pray that as we consider Christ, we consider his resurrection that we might know indeed today what it is to live in the power, to live in the beauty, to live in the glory of a resurrected king. So let us first consider Our focus on the risen king. Verse 10 begins, of course, again, if you noticed, Paul says, that I may know him. Now, kids, you don't have to be an expert in grammar, do you, to know that this isn't a complete sentence. You know, we've jumped in, haven't we, midway through Paul's teaching. We've jumped mid-train of thought. And it's actually a train of thought that you'll see stretches all the way back to verse 8. If you see how verse 8 begins, Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss... Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's said, hasn't he, in the previous verses, that he lived this life of incredible blamelessness and righteousness in the old ways of the Jewish religion. Uh, That he had this incredible reputation, even, as a man who was quite spotless in his faith. But what he says is all of that is is rubbish, is what he will say in verse 8 and following. He counts it as rubbish, as trash, in order that he might gain Jesus Christ, in order that he might know Jesus Christ, that he's turned his back on everything, that he might singularly know Christ Jesus, our Lord, the, the risen King. And I wonder if you know this kind of forsaking faith, this all consuming desire. To know Jesus Christ. You know, perhaps you can think back on your life before you confessed faith in Jesus Christ. And you think of your life now after having professed faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you notice, yeah, everything's different. All my ambitions, all my goals, all my comforts, all my securities, it's all different. I've counted it all as lost because of my desire to know Jesus Christ. Or maybe if 
There's humility in your self-examination, particularly in our North Texas context. You look back on your life before you profess faith in Jesus Christ, and you look now on your life after you confess faith in Jesus Christ, and you think, well, not a whole lot has changed. I don't know if I've really lost much for my faith. I don't know if I've really thrown away any ambitions for my faith. Maybe your examination reveals that, well, it's just as though Jesus has kind of come alongside all those ambitions, hopes, comforts, and securities that you previously had, and now he's just walking with them. And Paul would say, of course, there's no way that that can be possible for a Christian. Because a true Christian forsakes everything that formerly defined our life in order that we might know him. And students, you know, don't you, that this knowledge of Jesus that Paul wants, this knowledge of Jesus that he even seems to be panting for, is not just mere knowledge about him. It's not the kind of knowledge that you get through things like social media. Knowledge about a person via Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok video. This is knowledge that allows him to say, if you look again at verse 7 and 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not just Christ Jesus, the Lord, but Christ Jesus, my Lord. And this knowledge, Jesus himself said, is saving, didn't he? He prayed in John 17, verse 3. Father, let them know you. For eternal life is knowing you and Jesus Christ whom you sent. He wants to know Christ. And if we want to understand exactly what that kind of focus might look like in Paul's life, we continue on in the verse as he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, it was some years ago that a best-selling book that was titled The Secret overtook much of the publishing world, even much of the buying money of Christians and churches in our nation. This book sold millions and millions of copies. And it was little more than the author talking about the spiritual discovery she had made about the true power for spirituality. And at its bottom level, this true power that she discovered was this kind of ancient form of self-help called this law of attraction. And she called the law of attraction the most powerful force in the universe. And should the Apostle Paul have been living in the early decade of the 21st century and saw countless Christians buying such self-help help, he surely would have been shocked and altogether dismayed as he would think, really? This is the power for life in Jesus Christ? Do you not know what really is the power for life in Jesus Christ? The power of his resurrection. It's so important for Paul, if you flip over just a few pages in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, you'll see that he prays for the church at Ephesus to know this power. As he says in verse 18, that he prays that their hearts might know what is the hope to which God has called them. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? 
toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The greatest feat of strength that has ever happened in all of human history happened on that Easter Sunday so many years ago when the tomb was found to be empty. That is the true power for the Christian life. Why would we try to find it anywhere else? How important is it? Well, it's no stretch to say, it's no hyperbole to say, is it that human history is turning on the reality of Christ's resurrection? For the Bible itself will say, if Christ hasn't been raised, we're still dead in sin. If the power of the resurrection didn't come, our faith is in vain. Death has the victory. Satan has conquered. It's totally pointless to listen to the preaching of Jesus Christ, but the witness of history. Notice Paul takes it in verse 10 as the simple, mere factual reality. He has been raised that I might know the power of his resurrection. And I trust that you know you must know this power of Christ's resurrection. You might be listening and aren't a Christian. Certainly wouldn't say you're following Jesus. The Bible's quite clear in the truth that we're all born in sin. All of us, no matter when we were born and where we were born, born in sin. By nature, we are dead in our trespasses, the Bible says. And we have no inner power. We have no inner strength to be able to make our dead souls live so, of course, what we need is another power. We need someone to do it for us. We need some strength to work itself for us. And we do know that God has done it in His Son, Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God who, who came and took the form of a servant. And He was humble unto death on the cross. And He died sacrificially. He rose victoriously. He reigned and Rules in his ascendant power so that now through his word and spirit, dead souls might come alive through the ministry of his spirit. If you simply turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, the degree to which you will know God's power for you in Christ's resurrection is the degree to which your dead heart will now beat unto full forgiveness, eternal life, everlasting rest and joy In Christ Jesus. Consider your focus on the risen King. Consider your value of the power of His resurrection. But as the text continues in verse 10, we're told to consider also the fellowship with the risen King. Consider your fellowship with the risen King. We have six young children, as many of you know, and whenever the stone kids uh, jump into the big stone van, uh, rarely do a few seconds go by until one of the children shouts out a song they want to listen to or shouts out some sort of album they want to listen to or shouts out some sort of band they want to listen to because they're spoiled rotten with streaming services like Spotify that say we can just listen to whatever we want, whenever we want. And it wasn't too long ago, of course, certainly in our home, that we didn't have such luxuries and we had to listen to the radio. 
you know, you can't control what comes on the radio, can you? And I remember when our oldest son, Hudson, was probably no older than four, may have only been three, and we were driving around one Saturday, and the radio was playing, and a song came on, and he said, Daddy, turn it up. That's good. And the next song comes on, and you can look in the rearview mirror, and he had this funny look on his face, and he said, Daddy, that's too wild. Turn it down. And you know, don't you, that many Christians are that way in how they approach the truth of God's word. Let's turn up the volume on certain truths. The power of his resurrection. Maybe we should turn down the volume on other truths, such as what Paul says next. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Surely that's an unexpected passion that you would find Paul articulating as he's facing death. I count all things as loss in order that I might know him and have fellowship with, have communion with, have participation with, share in his sufferings. It might seem altogether morbid. But for Paul, it's just normal Christianity, isn't it? I mean, he said in the most immediate context, we even read earlier, From verse 7, that whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8 follows, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. He's saying it's a great thing to suffer for Jesus Christ. Not only is it a great thing, it's a gift, he says to the Philippians. If you notice verse 29 of chapter 1, he says perhaps one of the most stunning things he ever writes on the reality of suffering The spirituality of suffering in all of his letters, which says a lot of shocking things on suffering. Verse 29 of Philippians chapter 1, For it has been granted to you, gifted to you, you might even say graced to you, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul doesn't say that suffering is just to be expected. That suffering is fruitful in the Christian life. That that suffering is a gracious gift of God. You know, kids, you might think of suffering as this sandpaper that God uses to smooth and shine your soul after the image of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know why that Paul is so passionate about suffering alongside Christ, sharing in the afflictions of Jesus Christ, perhaps you might only just think back on your own life and how many relationships you have, certainly maybe the most formative, the most loving, the the deepest relationships you have were formed in the crucible of hardship. I certainly know that's true in my life. Every single friendship that I would count as the deepest that I have have had many profound times of prolonged suffering. Because a sharing in the suffering, doesn't it increase intimacy? Doesn't it increase fellowship? Doesn't it increase communion? Paul knows this to be true as Christ sympathizes with him in his suffering. But if you want to know what the suffering might look like and what this fellowship is that he's after, look at how verse 10 ends. That I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. The language there of becoming, you could translate more literally as 
transformed by or molded after. It's this idea of we're, we're being fit around the image of Christ, shaped and molded into a death just like his. And I actually do think that for the Apostle Paul, he has in mind two realities. One that's more pertinent to his life. The second that's certainly pertinent to all of our lives. The first of which is as he's becoming like Christ in his death, Paul knew he was going to be martyred for the faith. Paul knew that he was going to die a death. As Jesus died a death for his faith. And perhaps you haven't reckoned with the truth of the New Testament in particular. Or certainly the universal witness of the early church to recognize how how martyrdom, becoming like Jesus in his death, was understood to be the highest experience of Christianity. The early church even would talk about it as a spiritual gift to give one's life for Jesus Christ. But most of us won't have to do that. But all of us can become like him, transformed by his spirit, conformed to him in his death in the way that the New Testament often talks about. We die to self and we die to sin. Didn't Jesus say this himself? If anyone would come after me, Mark chapter 9, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, this image of Christ-like death. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Consider your focus on the risen king. Consider your fellowship with the risen king. Thirdly, consider your future in the risen king. You notice in a passage that's full of purpose clauses, we get another one in verse 11. I've suffered the loss of all things that I may know him. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So I do hope you see how verse 10 tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this present experience that we should long for and pray for and strive after. This future resurrection that belongs to us in Jesus Christ. It's something that we're looking for. It's something that we're longing for. You know, if you were to write down life goals, as perhaps maybe you've done before, you kind of work your way down the list. How long do you get until you say life goal? Seeing the resurrection from the dead. Perhaps it's challenging. It confronts us, doesn't it? How in Paul's life, that life goal is near the top. Certainly in this passage, it's almost in the top three. That he knows this life is not the end. That a resurrection unto an eternal kingdom. A resurrection unto seeing the risen king and his everlasting beauty. That's what awaits God's people at the end. And he says, I am looking for it. I'm longing for it. Christ's resurrection points forward to another resurrection that belongs to all of us when our perishable bodies, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, our perishable bodies take on imperishable bodies that we might be with him for all eternity. I wonder how much that kind of eternal view in light of Christ's resurrection, how much eternity weighs on your soul. It certainly was pressing in on Paul, not just in this occasion, all throughout his life and ministry. What is the place of Christ's resurrection in the Christian life? Well, it's found as we focus on the risen king, have fellowship with the risen king. 
And we have a future with a risen king. The seventh book and final one in the Chronicles of Narnia that C.S. Lewis wrote is called The Last Battle. And it's actually my least favorite one in that series, yet it contains almost certainly my most favorite scene in the entire series. The last battle has been fought. Good has won. Aslan is leading his loyal subjects into what's called Aslan's country. And as they are coming to the country, they begin to see it stretch out before them. And this land is amazing. Beyond all comprehension and imagination. And there's this part of the scene where Aslan lashes his tail and he he leaps forward. And then he cries out over his shoulder as he's bounding into his country. He says, come up. Further up, further in, and all the people following him keep crying out, further up and further in, because with each step forward, with each motion, there's more glory, there's more wonder, there's more joy that awaits these people. And the Christians cry when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is further up, further in, ever more into the power of his resurrection that we might know the fullness of what it means for us. And so to help you do that, consider what it means to go further up and further in to Christ's resurrection. Let us meditate just as we begin to close on two more things about Christ's resurrection from this passage. The first of which is Christ's resurrection is power for life. Christ's resurrection is power for life. You know, we've said that already, but I want to emphasize it again because it's what the New Testament emphasizes. More than any other quality about Christ's resurrection, the New Testament authors and the apostles who wrote those books and letters continually emphasize the power of Christ's resurrection. So kids, if you're wondering, why is Christ's resurrection so important? Why is Christ's resurrection so powerful? Well, you can simply write down these references. For example, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13 says Christ's resurrection is God's power for regeneration, for making us live from souls that are dead in sin. Not just that, Romans 6, verse 9 through 11 tell us it's Christ's resurrection that is God's power for sanctification where we die to sin and live to righteousness in the same way he died to sin and lives to righteousness. It's also God's power for justification, Romans 4, chapter 20, that he was raised for our justification. It's God's power for glorification. We read that earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20, wasn't it? That he's the first fruits of all who has fallen asleep. Just how powerful is Christ's resurrection? Well, it's God's power for regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. You might think of Christ's resurrection in a reverent way. It's the glue that secures, that holds together all the benefits that are ours in Jesus Christ. So you might be in here today, you might be listening today, you might be watching today, and you know loss, you know hardship, you know difficulty. I pray that you would also cling to the power of Christ's resurrection in your weakness, that you might ever increase in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
Like the old hymn says, Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's in weakness, suffering, frailty, and hardship that we know the power of his resurrection. That by faith we receive the power of his resurrection that we might evermore commune with Jesus Christ. An old preacher and hymn writer named Horatius Bonar, he he knew this truth quite well. Uh, He once wrote a book that was titled Night of Weeping or When God's Children Suffer. And at the beginning, in the introduction, he said, it is written by one who is seeking himself to profit by trial and trembles lest it should pass as the wind over the rock, leaving it as hard as ever by one who would in every sorrow draw near to God that he may know him more. And I pray that you are one that in every sorrow might draw near to Christ that you would know the power of his resurrection. Christ's resurrection is not just power for life. Christ's resurrection, secondly, finally, gives purpose to life. Look at the end again of our text. Verse 11, where Paul says, certainly in my ESV translation, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What you need to see in verse 11 is that he's not uncertain about the end. So he knows he's going to reach resurrection from the dead. He is, however, uncertain about the means to that end. He doesn't know how he's going to get there. And if your Bible's in front of you, you can circle these three words, by any means. I want you to see how those three words, that three-word purpose, if you will, can genuinely transform your life as you live in the power of Christ's resurrection and long to see the final resurrection. Because this is what Paul would mean for us today and how we apply those words. Suddenly and unexpectedly, your spouse walks out on you. And the cry of the Christian in the midst of sorrow and struggle is, by any means, I will reach the resurrection. Your job suddenly has disappeared. Means to provide for your family taken away from you. By any means, I will reach the resurrection. Perhaps You've longed for many years to have a child for children or blessings from the Lord. And he's kept the womb closed. By any means, I will reach the resurrection. Or perhaps God opens the womb in light of those prayers. And yet the child dies in the womb. By any means, I will reach the resurrection. Or perhaps you're like me and have prayed to God, God, let me never bury one of my children. And you've had to bury one of your children. By any means, I will reach the resurrection. Or like my dear friend Pat, life is going along great. Then he gets a diagnosis that says cancer will take him quite quickly. By any means, I will reach the resurrection through the power 
of Christ's resurrection. So on this Easter Sunday, consider your focus on the risen King. Consider your fellowship with the risen King. Consider your future in the risen King. See anew and see afresh this morning that Christ's resurrection is God's power for your life. And it gives purpose in your life. As you strain ever forward to the upward call of knowing Jesus Christ. This is the place of Christ's resurrection in the Christian life. Let us pray together. Lord, give us, we pray, hearts that long for Christ with this zeal. Souls that pant for Christ with this passion. Then in a life that is so often full of distractions and preoccupations, we lose sight of our risen Savior who is our life. So help us with eternity always in view to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at your right hand knowing that when Christ appears we too will appear with him in glory for he has conquered the grave and we do pray these things in his precious and perfect name amen